This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Eldorado Gaming. Eldorado Gaming is your site for gifts and gaming accessories like dice, playmats, and other items to bling out your games. Use the promo code META for 10% off your order. Find us on YouTube at Eldorado Gaming TX or our home site at eldoradogaming.com. Here at My Mythical Meta, we talk about gaming with friends and strangers, resolving conflicts, and keeping game nights fun, interesting, and recurring. Our game of choice is Magic the Gathering, but our hope is that what we share is relevant for board gamers, RPG groups, video gamers, and maybe even your poker night. I'm Travis, and with my brother Benjamin and my friends Derek and Randy, we've been playing Magic together since 2014. The secret to a healthy meta is not in the game you play, it's being good friends. Subscribe to My Mythical Meta, presented by Eldorado Gaming, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to My Mythical Meta. The entire crew is here. No absences, perfect attendance. Finally, everyone is here. I've got my brother, Benjamin. Hello. I've got my two best friends. I have Derek and Randy. Howdy. Everyone is here, finally, thank God. No schedule conflicts. We are finally able to have a full run, especially with Benjamin back on the words of wisdom. <laughs> Derek, you've been officially fired. That's all right. I like to... Only only from the words of wisdom, though. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Come keep it in. Keeping your words of wisdom in. I like it. It keeps this pod interesting. And that is actually our topic today, is keeping it interesting. As I've said many times before, our game of choice is Magic the Gathering. And we have been playing Magic for many years, almost a decade. We started playing together in around 2014 or 15. And it being the year 2023, we've been playing for a very long time. And it's crazy that... We can play one game over this long period of time. Can you guys think of anything else that you've done for as long as you've played Magic? Uh, I mean, if we just say video games in general. Okay, but is there not any... a single game. Is there any specific or single game that you've... Or hobby that you've done for as long as you've played Magic? I think Pokemon might be the closest. You and I had a long mm-hmm. stretch, and if I count all the years up, it might be close. I was thinking the same thing. Pokemon, for me, Dragon Age might be another game that I've consistently gone back to many, many times over the years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I have a year-long break in between some playthroughs and stuff. For me, it's fantasy baseball. Mm-hmm. I started that my first year of college. I took two years off in law school. Cause I just couldn't keep up. But then since graduating law school in 2011, I've been playing pretty consistently since then. So that's the main one. Randy, how about you? I think for me, the closest would be D&D since playing with y'all oh, in high school. Oh, yeah, I suppose that's, that's true. true. It is one of the things where every group is kind of like a new game. So I can kind of see how it's uh, maybe a little different, but tabletop RPGs in general. For sure. I get that. I guess if you're going to say in general, board gaming has been a big hobby of mine since childhood till now. And I've got a pretty extensive collection of interesting games that I try to get people to play and and I know of a lot more so that's certainly a big part of it too gaming in many forms board games magic fantasy baseball just what I do yeah our topic is about keeping a single game 
interesting for a long period of time. When games are very well established, they can get into a rut, especially if one group is playing the same game over and over and over again. Now, playing the same game with, for example, Magic, the same decks over and over again, or the same armies, or the same lists, or the same characters, those games can get boring. And game creators know this. It's their job to have players continue coming back all the time and pouring in the minutes and hours into their game. And so modern game creators will build in lots and lots of ways to play their game. Lots of varieties around the same base game. We can start with our main game, which is Magic the Gathering. They just right now off the top of my head, they of course have Standard, which is the most recent sets. They have Historic, they have Brawl, they have Drafting, they have Two-Headed Giant, they have Sealed, they have Modern and Legacy and Vintage. And Pioneer. Oh, yep, they have Pioneer. <laughs> they have, what was that one we tried with the Planeswalker? Oh, uh, Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker, yeah, yep. that's right. And of course, our version is EDH or Commander. So they have so many different ways to play their game that if you really do get bored with one you could say well let's try a different version and see what that's like right game creators want you to keep spending money on their product no matter how you play it and so if you don't like one version of their game you can buy something else or you can get into a different way back when i used to play league of legends so they had the the base three lane map 5e5 and then they came out with a smaller one like Twisted Tree Line, does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. That's mm -hmm. right. Twisted Tree Line was 3v3. Yeah. And then after that, it was just a mod that they were using in Warcraft 3. Or I think that's how League of Legends started in general. Yeah. But then people yeah. did all random, all mid on the main map. And so <laughs> yeah. Riot, the company that makes League of Legends, they actually made a map for that that's all random characters, just one lane where it's just, you know, slugging it out. Yeah, one central lane where it's nothing but team fights, basically. Yeah, since then they've come out with, I, I don't know what they've done in the last few years, but they had like Earth, which is ultra rapid fire. That's right. Yeah, so all of the abilities have super low cooldown. Yeah, so it's just going crazy, going stupid. Arena, I think there was like a central like wheel or something like that, that mm -hmm. 5v5, or maybe it was like 5v5v5 or something. I, don't... I think it's 2v2v2v2. Oh, okay. I think it's eight players and it's four teams of two. Yeah, so that's, that's what I can think of off the top of my head with League of Legends. Like I said, for me, D&D, &D, you know, there's always, of course, new additions, but also they're putting out, like, I feel like monthly now, I feel like they're putting out a new book. And, you know, that keeps it fresh by introducing new races, new class features, even, like, adventure ideas, you know, for DMs, something like that to use in their games. Yeah, magic items, maps. Book of Dragons. Yeah, new creatures. Yeah. The couple that come to my head are the Nintendo games, Super Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. Even in the very first edition of Super Smash Brothers, there were multiple ways to play. You could play with stock, where everyone has a certain number of lives and it's the last one standing, or you could play time, where it was a timed match and you won by getting the most KOs during that time. Super Smash Brothers also has variations in team versus solo play. So you can have it be a free-for-all where everyone's on their own, 
or you can have people assigned to teams. This is also a fun way to moderate the meta because if you have one player who's really, really good and the other players are introduction level, then you could even do 1v3. You know, you can change the sizes of your teams if you want to also. There were also lots of modifiers like item select, launch distance modifiers. I think there were fast, slow-mo, metal, bunny hood. Like there were just tons of different ways to play the core game of Smash Brothers. The same is true in Mario Kart. There are all of the different courses are ways to keep it interesting. You can do the programmed Grand Prix where they've chosen four courses that go together, or you can freestyle it and choose your own four courses to go together. You can do team and solo races. You can modify which items show up in each race. And Mario Kart has its battle modes. And those have been in place since the very first iteration of the game as well. Just a battle map where instead of a course, instead of a track, instead it's an arena, which is all about trying to test each player's mastery of certain items like green shells, stars, red shells, banana peels, etc. When game creators are making a game they want you to sink as many hours into as possible, and so they're going to create many different modes of play. That way, when you get bored with one thing, you'll stay in the game, but switch to something else. They want to keep their game interesting by providing options. Another way to keep players in the game is to constantly release new content. They'll keep their game interesting by adding new things, kind of creating that little hamster drip where you always want to come back to it to see what has changed. I think one of the most common ways to do this is releasing new characters in video games, especially fighting games or any arena game. But Smash Brothers did this for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate on the Switch for a period of like three years. Huh. They had waves of new characters being made available. League of Legends does this. You guys mentioned in the last episode your game Marvel Strike Force and Gundam Breaker Mobile, how they would constantly release new suits or new characters or new superheroes that constantly get people coming back into the game. Yeah, I mean, it's how they, they sell us a new Pokemon games. They give us off 80 new Pokemon every time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what Pokemon is. It's all about the characters. The only reason to buy a new game is to see what new characters, what new creatures have been created for the same core game. Yeah. And Warhammer 40k and other tabletop games always putting out a new faction, putting out... So new figurines for people to collect and then, of course, build and paint and keep your time involved in that hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of games do it. Star Wars Legion and X-Wing. Something y'all had talked about last episode was about spending money in order to get powerful units. Yeah. In order to get powerful cards. And I was thinking about the last couple of years when Warhammer 40k started releasing specific figures for all of the main Primarchs. Yeah. And, like, if you're not into Warhammer 40k... That won't mean a lot, but the idea that at the head of each of these armies is one ubermensch, one superhuman creature or man that embodies all the ideals of that faction. So cool. I played Death Guard, which is a Chaos Space Marine faction that's all about decay and disease and pestilence and rotting, and they came out with 
Mortarian. He is the Primarch of the Death Guard. And of course, this is a $200 figure. Good it's lord. 12 inches high. It's got gigantic wings. And of course, all of its abilities reflect that. It's super powerful, super resilient, spreads disease. It does all of the things that the faction does. And it's things like that that are going to keep people coming in to Warhammer. Yeah, something similar is in the board gaming area, you have expansion packs and variations and stuff like that to keep people playing a game i think you mentioned pandemic earlier but if you didn't pandemic does this a lot right there's there's a ton so many versions of pandemic you have of course all your legacy games you have pandemic on the brink state of emergency in the lab hot zone i think one year you got me rapid yeah pandemic rapid response they have fall of rome they have iberia just so many variations of the same core rules, but with enough variation to get people interested in, hey, let's let's add this thing. Let's try this. And I have several different games here with different variations. So I have Legends of Andor, and I have a Legends of Andor expansion pack. I have Successors 2nd Edition and Successors 3rd Edition. I have Axis and Allies. I have Axis and Allies and Zombies. I I have... Uh, oh, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you give me that one, too? Yeah, I got I got you Axis and Allies and Zombies. Yeah. I'm looking on my shelf at Settlers of Catan. I have Settlers of Catan, Cities and Knights. Yep. And then I have another one called Traitors and Barbarians. Mm-hmm. There should be a Seafarers. I don't know if you have that one, but... I don't have that one, but yeah. I know that it exists. And, of course, there's a bazillion versions of Monopoly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of these things keep a game interesting. If I like the core thing, then I might like it with one additional added rule or one little additional figure. Mm-hmm. Video games do expansion packs also. Downloadable content or mods. They add in another adventure or they add in new equipment or new armor something that's kind of topical right now is that cyberpunk 2077 just came out with patch 2.0 which had a complete overhaul of all the skill trees and perks and a new expansion called phantom liberty which contains a new region of night city an entirely new district to explore as well as an entire new storyline with new characters, and one of them is acted and voiced by Idris Elba. Oh, cool. Cyberpunk 2077, that's a three-year-old game. It came out in the year uh, 2020. 2019. So, 2019, December is that right? 2019. December 2019. So, yeah, this is a three, almost four-year-old game, and right now it's dominating the video game news cycle, going toe-to-toe with games like Starfield and Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, And they did that through the downloadable content, through their patches, and through and through the Phantom Liberty expansion pack. I mean, with patch 2.0, it's almost like a brand new game. It is almost a brand new and game. I, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of menus have changed, and there are entire gameplay overhauls. Yeah, that. I've seen a lot of screenshots people have taken online. I mean, it looks like one of the best games. Like, visually looks like one of the best games ever. Just getting completely lost and immersed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just constant updates. It's a game that has had constant work on it for the last three years. They never stopped upgrading its visual graphics. They never stopped upgrading police AI or gang AI. Because the developers keep investing in it and making changes and improvements, people are going to continue coming back to the game. Even in the last year, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch has a, I forget what they're calling it, but it's an online pass where every couple of months they come out with a new Grand Prix. So 
four new courses. I think most of them are throwback courses. So courses from Nintendo DS or courses from Double Dash on GameCube and things like that. But these keep people coming back also. And then, of course, there's Our Game Magic, which is just constantly releasing new cards. We always come back to the game. We always buy more packs because they're going to have new cards. And if those new cards are powerful with a new effect, then we're going to want to add them to our decks. Yeah, and some people might argue they've been doing it a bit too much lately, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been hard to keep up the last couple of years, I'll be honest. Oh yeah, I agree. And it's, it's hard for trading card games, I think, to keep people coming back without power creeping. And I think Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! have major power creep problems. Yeah. Yeah. And those power creep problems started early in the development of those games. Do you think Magic has developed a power creep problem, but if it comes 20 years into the game, then at least they did a little better. Yeah, anytime I ever see Yu-Gi-Oh! gameplay, it's if your deck wants to go first and it goes second, you lose. If your deck wants to go second <laughs> yeah, and that. you go second, you win, you know? Or if you want to go first, you go first, you win. It, it is like, yeah. it's like they pop off instantly. Yeah. There is no back it's and forth. Crazy. Yeah, there's no back and forth like when we were young playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Of like steadily chewing down the opponent's life points. It's like, nope, it's all going to happen in one turn or not. These are the things that game creators do in order to keep people coming back to their game and investing hours and hours and hours into it. But when games get really, really big and when metas become very well established, usually over the course of time, players will also create their own ways to play. This next section is about what players do to keep games interesting. I think an interesting one is in Pokemon. I haven't really played Pokemon since like second or third generation, but I always like to watch content in involving the Nuzlocke challenge, which if you don't know, if you're not into Pokemon, this is a way where it makes the game a lot harder. When you go into mm -hmm. a new region, you can only catch the first Pokemon that you find there. And if you don't catch that one, you don't get another chance to catch one in that region. And then if your Pokemon ever faints, then it's gone forever. You have to release it. It's like it's dead. So you have to be really careful about going up against powerful Pokemon. If you know that there's going to be a hard trainer battle or something like that, you will grind and grind and grind so that your Pokemon can take it without dying. And it makes the game not only harder, but really forces you to understand strategy. It forces you to take the game a lot more seriously because Pokemon, you know, it's a fun game. Your first playthrough, you'll learn it. There's no punishment for not doing well. And you can really take advantage of the fact that the computer players the npcs they're kind of dumb they're all one trick ponies and all of that but the nuzlocke yeah. challenge really puts you in the position where you only have a select few pokemon to work with and you cannot risk them yeah it adds stakes yeah it adds stakes it makes the game interesting i've done it a few times on on older versions i think it's pokemon crystal i do this with me too i've, d I've done a few nuzlocks it's always on older versions after I've played through the game once. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do it for my very first playthrough of a game because you don't know when the super hard gym leader is going to show up and just cause you to, to black out because you got <laughs> nobody left. Yeah. that's That's been my favorite variation of things players have come up with to just completely change how a game is played and make it new and interesting again. My thought is, like, think about, like, playing cards. 52 playing cards how many different games are oh there? oh my gosh yeah derek that is such an awesome point like poker solitaire free space spider solitaire spoons yep, pe yeah peanut Speed. butter war battle yep just all the just no yeah that's that's 
brilliant. Just there's so many. That's one of the yeah. That's the best example that I could think of. Fifty two game pieces, a thousand different games. Yeah. yeah. And then you start playing with two and three decks, and you have hand and foot. Like we played. Canasta. You add a board, and now you're playing sequence. Yep. Oh, Canasta. I haven't heard that in like twenty years. My wife's family loves to play Canasta, so Oh man, my girl yeah. would play that all the time. Derek, that's great. That's a great example. Thank you. Something that we did in high school with Smash Brothers was changing the item select to only Pokeballs. So it's like, okay, we're doing a Pokemon challenge. Whoever gets lucky and throws out the best Pokemon from all the random Pokeballs. But Benjamin, just you talked about playing Smash Brothers with your debate team, and they decided to do Snake yeah. only. So just all, all players playing the same character and seeing who's better with that one particular character. Rockets, bombs, the airdrop helicopter yep. thing. So players will figure out ways to make their game interesting if it's not interesting enough. Again, I think this only really happens when games get really big and the metas are very well established. Right. Yeah. And the format that we are most familiar with is the commander format in Magic the Gathering. This is a format that is officially supported by Wizards of the Coast now, but that's not how it began. It was first known as Elder Dragon Highlander, and it was a format created by judges to play during waiting time in tournaments. Mm -hmm. This was just players creating this format, and that's why the subreddit we always go to is called EDH, Elder Dragon Highlander, because that's the name that these players gave it, and Wizards officially calls it Commander. In our own small meta, the four of us, we have created a couple of ways to keep our games interesting as well. Over the course of our sessions, over the course of our meetings, most of our games are just normal, four-player, free-for-all, each person has built their deck, and we just want to see who wins that night. Most of it is normal gameplay. But in our meta, we have done a few things that keep the game interesting for us mm -hmm. as well. We have two main things. We will do a Secret Santa commander deck each year where we draw a person's name randomly and then we make that person a budget commander deck with a price limit of $50. And we also do deck building challenges where we will say to the entire group, okay, you all have to build a deck using these restrictions. And then with just those restrictions, or just Secret Santa, we will come to that next session or whatever session we've scheduled in the future. We'll come to those games and play with those decks. Let's talk about Secret Santa first. Year one was an interesting experience where we had never made decks for each other before. It was kind of a new idea. Was it you who came up with it, Travis? Were you the one who suggested it? I don't remember. It was popular on RDEDH on Reddit. Oh, yeah. and it was popular on Reddit because I think there might have been a secret Santa through Reddit yeah, there yeah, was. where I think you you're would right. get a user's yeah. name or something I remember and, that make, now. and make those people decks or something like that. Yeah, okay. You're right. I remember that. We looked at that and said, hey, that'd be a great idea. And so the year one, we did that. That would have been six years ago now. Wow. Yeah, right after I moved back to Houston or the year yeah. after that. And it was real interesting. So we, we put something random and I think we all kind of said, all right, we're going to make something for this person that really reflects something they don't do very often. Mm -hmm. So I remember the deck that was made for me was made by Derek mm -hmm. and that was Smile of the yeah. Anima. 
and I still have it. And it was a $50 budget deck, so I've I've upgraded it a little bit, but I still have it in spirit. When it goes off, it can go off. But he, he was basically, at the time, thinking... Man, Ben always plays these control decks. Ben always plays these grindy decks. I want him to play big monsters and smash into people. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. And then the deck I made for Randy that year, I was thinking, man, Randy always plays very slowly. So I'm going to give him a deck where he has nothing to do on his turn so that he plays the land and passes. And so I made him a deck where every single card could be played at instant speed on someone else's turn. Who's that? Surek Dragonclaw? Yep. yep. So a nice three-color deck where it, all the ramp is instant speed, most of the mana rocks are instant speed, mm-hmm. all the creatures have flash, and it's just, you know, play your land past the turn, and maybe we can speed things up. It, I think I've mentioned before, it didn't really work out as planned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what Travis and... Travis made me Vivictus Asmati. Oh, yeah. Jun. That's right. I've upgraded that several times, turned it into Corval, then I doubled down on the permanent only thing and trying to get that real big primal surge mm-hmm. victory. And right before I was about to take that deck apart, I won with it. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that was a great day. <laughs> that was like five years ago, so <laughs> or maybe like three, four yeah. years ago. And then now it is well, it's Hensy, Hensy. Right? yeah. Hensy. Yeah, your Hensy deck's really good. I didn't realize it was the same deck, basically. It's different. I've put bigger, better stuff it's in it. It's very different now, yeah. When I when it was Vevictus Asmati, there was a lot of Sapperling support. Yeah. Just the idea that at any given time you you could sack a sapperling and not lose anything. Meanwhile, Vevictus is going to make all your opponents sacrifice something big. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I tried to capitalize with with Corval to feed his ability or whatever, but I it just it couldn't keep up. And then I kind of keep the same kind of idea where I want to sacrifice stuff with Henzi, but now it's everything and there's no consequences. <laughs> nothing matters. Embrace nihilism. Right. Randy's first Secret Santa deck for me was Daxos the Returned. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't remember, because I've been thinking about your yes. Daxos deck. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was Randy's first Secret Santa deck for me. It has been upgraded, but honestly, not by a lot. I added in just a couple of enchantment support and some card draw support, so things like Necropotence. I added in. There is one card called Flickering Ward where it costs one to play and it's an enchantment that gives a creature protection from a color, but you can also pay one white to return it to hand. So you can play it, return it to hand, play it, return it to hand, play it, return it to hand. It's kind of like a mana sink that can just get your experience count up really high. Mm, mm-hmm. So it has been upgraded, but not by a ton. And it is still a really, really fun deck. Yeah, I'm glad we started with year one and have pointed out how all of us still basically have these decks. They've been surprisingly resilient, Mm -hmm. considering that they all started on a $50 budget. Yeah. And this was a long time ago when we basically weren't as good of deck builders as we are now. Yeah. So we kind of tweak them over time to make them better, but we still hold on to those decks that other people made for us. And playing a surprise deck that you didn't build yourself is a really fun way to switch things up a bit. A really fun way to switch things up and to learn. Let me tell you all the wacky little Rube Goldberg machine that Benjamin made for me year two. It is a (laughs) Jota deck, five-color Jota. This is the old Jota. There are no lands in the deck. Dominaria United? Do you mean Zendikar? Zendikar, yeah. Yeah, it was Zendikar. Had, like, flip cards. It's like Zendikar... Zendikar Rising. Yeah, it was a dumb set. Hot take. (laughs) That's why we don't get sponsored now. <laughs> they had they had flip cards, and on the back side were lands, but because the front side is like creatures or spells or something, there aren't any lands in the deck, technically. 
So it wins by using Goblin Charbelcher? Yes, right. Do you know that off the top of your head what that does? Yes. When you activate it, you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a land card. And it does that much damage to any target. Or if it reveals a mountain, it deals double that damage. Well, there's no land, so it's going to reveal your whole deck. And you'll do that much damage. So these are 100 cards decks. <laughs> It'll do, say, 80. <laughs> yeah, 80 damage. Yeah. And it, then it says put the revealed cards on the bottom of your deck in any order. Since you've just revealed your whole deck, you basically get to decide what the next few cards you draw are, and you can get ready to activate it again next turn. So you can always choose what the next card that you draw is on top of dealing 80 damage every time you activate it. I still have the deck. It does nothing until it wins. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. Uh, Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And even with everybody like playing as hard as they can, if they can't deal 40 damage to you in the first three to four turns then you can win yep. pretty amazing i think that's the year that randy made me yes rogak and arden, arden yeah. which we've mentioned yeah. several times on this podcast being uh, one of the major boogeymen of the format because it's hyper aggressive all these artifact equipments that just power up these really small evasive creatures and they just come in and smack you real quick for 21 commander damage and once again if you don't get set up real fast to take care of it you're dead and randy built that and it was funny because well i'll let randy tell this story about when they were practicing their deck before he gave it to me (laughs) if i remember correctly i believe i went over to your place correct Derek, and we were kind of testing out these decks i don't remember the story He blocked it from his memory. I must have. <laughs> I thought we went over to your apartment, yes. and we were playing one-on-one, and you were like... So, Derek, you had made me a Leela Artful Provocateur that year. Okay. Yeah, you were really confident, and you were like, this deck's okay, going to This is starting to sound, this is starting to sound familiar. I was like, this is just Boros, and everyone always craps all oh, Boros. Oh, yeah. And then it was like, turn four, and... It just came Boy, over, came off the, the card face. and broke my neck. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it hit fast. Yeah. I was, we were, I was it's, really... it's just artifact ramp and artifacts to soup up your creature, which comes out turn one. And so that makes them just like, all right, turn two, I'm hitting you. Commander damage. Let's get this lethal going. Yeah. And this was part of y'all's long standing rivalry because... I remember a detail of that story because you were so happy because Derek was like, oh, yeah, I made this really great deck and uh, it's going to totally destroy It was good. I'm going to totally destroy your little Boros. (laughs) Your deck was better in a four-player environment when it had a little more time. My deck is like, one-on-one, you're the only target, you're dead. Yeah. Yep. But you were bragging to Randy about how you were going to just crush him and then he pulls out... His little Boros deck that he made for me. Yeah. Smash. This you. is when you put in someone call an ambulance, but not for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got three of the four decks. What was the last one that year? Derek had made me Alila Artful Provocateur with Fairies. You had made Derek Joda. I think that year I made Randy. Oh, yeah. Alesha, who smiles yes. at death. That deck still does work. And yep, RG. Still have it. And that same year was the first time I did a birthday deck with Arjun the Shifting right, Flame. Yeah. Which I love. That year I gave Randy two yep. decks. And I'm glad you made us stop to talk about these. We had gotten into a meta notice. Just something that I had noticed about Randy was that he hated discarding cards. Anytime an ability either required him to discard cards 
or anytime he was at maximum hand size, he would say, nah, I, I wish I didn't draw two more cards cause, because now I have to discard. And I kept trying to tell him like, no, your graveyard is good. You can use it. It is okay to discard cards. It's also good to have more options. Just because you have seven cards doesn't mean you don't want to see two more. Yeah, I've exactly. learned since then. You always want to see two more. You always want to see as many cards as you can, even if you do have a maximum hand size of seven, because it means you get to pick the best yeah that's what i've kind of come around to is yeah i have a good seven i could have a better set of seven (laughs) yes there's always a better seven so alesha wanted to teach him or sacrificing goal with alesha was that it's okay to have your creatures in the graveyard because there are cards that enabled you to use and to get them back Mm -hmm. And things like that so there are lots of cards in alesha that ask him to discard his own cards or ask him to sacrifice his own creatures so that he can use them from the graveyard. And the purpose of Arjun was, of course, draw as many cards as you can, because Arjun's ability says every time you cast a spell, you take all the other cards in your hand and you put them on the bottom and draw that many. The lesson here was that (laughs) no card is permanent, your hand doesn't matter, what matters is drawing and always seeing the next best set. Yeah. And that was a a really fun year. And I think that the Alesha deck eventually led me to my Marchesa deck Mm -hmm. because it's all about using my graveyard. It's still classic Randy of I want to attack and hit you in the face without consequences, but now I just get my stuff back. That's cool that you spotted that, Randy. I hadn't noticed that evolution for you, and it's really cool because Marchesa is an insanely powerful deck. And I'm liking that we see this trend here of we started off with our gifts as trying to teach the other players in our meta certain strategies or trying to get them out of their shell. Like all of us were doing this really early on. And I think that's a cool part of our meta about how we were able to shift the meta and try new things by creating this challenge where we say, hey, you don't have this sort of deck and you don't play this sort of style. But when I give you this, now you do have this sort of deck, and at least a few times, you're going to play that sort of style, and it's going to change the meta. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to make all of us better players. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to year three, and this was the first time that we had added in a new deck-building rule. Both year one and year two were random people with no special rules. In year three, we knew who the last person was. There are only three other people in our meta, so if we had done one random person... And then a second person, well, now there's only one person left. And this time we did an added rule that any legendary creature at uncommon rarity could be treated as if it had partner. It didn't matter if it actually had partner or not. Any legendary creature that had been printed at uncommon, those creatures could be treated as if they had partner for the purpose of this deck. And those were some wild decks. Yeah, I had a lot of fun building that too, because when you have a support card that can support your commander, Mm -hmm. it suddenly changes things. It made it kind of like Oathbreaker, where you could reliably hit both a commander and a spell to go with it or at least that's how i treated this challenge i was like hey i know what my main goal is but here's another card that just totally backs up what i'm doing and i thought it was a lot of fun to build that way yeah Yeah. benjamin made me a deck with vega the watcher and benjamin was it siani or elegeth i think it was elegeth yeah 
So the idea was that Vega draws cards when you play cards yeah, from when exile. Yeah, you play cards from exile, and then Elegeth draws cards when you scry. The reason okay. for that is I think there were just a lot of cards that just so happened to put cards in exile or things like that that also just randomly scryed one. Yeah, I think that's and right. So I was like, look, you're gonna have a bunch of cards, and then you're gonna have a bunch of more cards, and you're not gonna be able to stop it. And that was just a really fun deck in general for me to make because i had to think of a lot of unique ways to get you to play cards from places other than your hand yeah and so i had a lot of fun making it um putting in all the stuff with suspend and cascade foretell and all the yeah exactly randy made Derek hamza and slurk no it's slurk slurk (laughs) listen it's green white plus one plus one counters but hot Damn, that deck was a truck. Language. And I'll tell you, I saw Hamza many times just by itself as an uncommon commander and just kept thinking, man, this guy's just not any good. But wow, being able to get him out once you've already done a little bit of your plan and then having him just totally blows the rest of your deck up in power. Do you still have that Hamza and Slurk? Uh, yes and no. I do still have it, but I am currently in the process of upgrading it. Okay, I thought you were going to say tearing it apart. I'll... No! I am putting it through an actual shredder. <laughs> <laughs> I no longer have Vega and Elegith, but that's because I used Vega in a different deck building challenge that we'll get to a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Derek, you made Randy, Sir Conrad, and Ghost of Ramirez de Pietro. Yeah, so Randy never plays blue. At this point, rarely played black. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it'd be fun to make him do stuff, play out of the graveyard. I can't remember exactly how the deck was supposed to work. It's like, get cards in your graveyard, then get them back out, and then just kind of play with Sir Conrad over and over with the graveyard. Right. And then to make it a legal deck, I just switch Sir Conrad with Tormod, the Desecrator. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as fun, but a similar thing to keep it kind of working the same Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, still very good either way. Mm -hmm. The deck that I made that year was Arami of the Dead Tide and Quintorius... Field Historian. Quintorius Field Historian. That's his name. And that one I thought was probably the most clever of all of these. Like, the Vega Elegeth deck was basically just a Vega deck with some added support. Hamza and Slurk were green-white plus one plus one counters. Conrad and, and Ramirez de Pietro were, you know, the typical graveyard shenanigans in and out. But what I loved about Arami and Quintorius is that Quintorius provided some really interesting support for Arami because Arami forces you to exile cards from your graveyard in order to do something. And then Quintorius makes tokens whenever a card leaves your graveyard. And so it stopped mm-hmm. being a cost. Oh, so Arami gives the, the creature encore. encore. So you get to pull a creature out of your graveyard and you get two copies of it in addition to that creature. And then they all attack a different opponent. So basically you can pull something out of your graveyard, get three of them. But in order to do that, you had to exile cards from your graveyard as a cost. Well, Contorius would give you a token for each of those cards. Yeah, he would give you a spirit token for each yeah. one. Yeah, and so suddenly, if you get those two out and something to reanimate from the graveyard, it's like instant board state, where you get three creatures for the creature you got out, plus another three creatures for the, the cards that you exiled, and then, boom, you go, just go in and, and... And the creatures that I used to kind of populate the deck were allies, yeah. which all benefit from the number of allies you have on the board. Right, so when one of them 
them came out. Well, actually, three of them came out, and they all pumped each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, very fun deck. I'm very proud of myself yeah. for it. <laughs> I will admit that I scavenged that for a bunch of cards. That's yeah. okay. I do want to go back and recreate Arami. Well, some of these decks that we build that have special build rules... We don't normally play them very often, right. and it's for the reason that they technically have broken a rule, yeah. and their power is going to be different than other decks made for the format. So we usually would only play them against each other or in our own small group. We don't usually bring them to play with strangers or anything like that. Yeah. We did this year four, and this was a start over cycle with no special rules. We started over with a new random person and had no special building rules. This was last year's Christmas, mm -hmm. and I made Benjamin John Irenicus. Yes, I love it. Yeah, I really liked that deck. It was a lot of fun to build. Yeah, I'm still working on just some small tweaks here and there, but when it comes back, it's going to be even better. A monster. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you will rue oh, no. the day. Because I loved the concept of I'm going to give my opponents creatures that they have to attack each other with, and I get a benefit every time they do and it's just it's so diabolical yeah and you always want to give them a bad creature right exactly <laughs> a creature that has some terrible drawback to it and i just love that like why would i ever play this oh so i can give it to you and that just yeah it's just it's awesome the one thing that I was trying to change is like, okay, well, everybody else gets to play their stuff like normal, usually. And then if you're giving away all your creatures, you were left defenseless. And I, I hate yeah. being defenseless. Like, I think I've mentioned that before. So I'm adding ways to make it work out. And I think, I think it's going to be great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And then I made for Travis... Dang, what's his name? The turtle. The turtle jump. Archelos. Archelos. Archelos says that when it's tapped, everything comes into play tapped. And when it's untapped... Everything comes into play untapped. So there are lots of things, especially lands, that come into play tapped for balance reasons because they would be totally broken if they came into play untapped. And he says, well, I'm going to let them come into play untapped and let you bounce stuff over and over. I don't think we ever got it to pop off in a game. Yeah, not yet. I'm going to power it up with some tutors. Yeah, I think that'll help. I have both a demonic and a vampiric tutor that I'm just going to throw in that deck. Nice. That way I can start getting the combos yeah. off. Derek, what did you make? I made Volo guide the monsters. Oh, yeah. He says... For Randy. Yes, yeah, for Randy. <laughs> so one thing that Randy likes to do is play with tokens. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you tokens, but I'm going to do it my way and my colors. So Volo says, when you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. So it's all about having lots of different creature types and just going crazy, going stupid, get a bunch of clones or copies or something like that. I don't remember how it did, but it, I think it was fun. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. I still have it, and I plan on playing it again soon. Cool. That sounded ominous. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I haven't upgraded it yet. I haven't done any upgrades. Nothing to worry about. I was going through all my decks recently and adding them to Architect. So I was just going through it and looking at all the cards in there, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this is... I need to play this again. Randy's like, I still have it, and watch your back. <laughs> <laughs> You'll regret the, the, this day. Yep. And then Randy, which one did you make that? I year? can't remember. I've been sitting here. Sask? He's like a Zask, the bug. Okay. Yeah, I think it's Zask Skittering Swarm. Yeah. Yes. You know, God forbid they make anything that's easy to say. <laughs> it's yeah, not okay. fantasy but enough. I guess since it's insects, that's the point. Now I remember. Yes, so Zask TLDR is you can play bugs and lands from your graveyard. I can't remember if he has any other abilities off the top of my head. 
I think whenever they die, they go to the bottom of their deck. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So they just keep churning through your deck, I guess. Yeah, because you mill every time something dies. Yeah, that's what it is. So you, I want I want to mill stuff right. in there, play it from the graveyard, and then when it dies, instead of going back to the graveyard, it goes back into the deck. So it's kind of doing things backwards. My graveyard is in my library, and my library is in my graveyard. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, you know, things to help with the ramp is like, you know, anytime you would crack a land to find a different land, well, now you can play it again and just keep fetching things. And then it's just a bunch of bugs, and bugs have a pretty fun synergy. Scoot Swarm? Scoot yep. Mob? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a bunch of bugs that are just like, hey, the more bugs, the more better. <laughs> so what happened with this deck is that I think I played it at that Christmas, and then I had to take my backpack to use as like luggage or storage or something like that for Europe, and forgot to put it back in my backpack when I got back. And so it's been sitting in my closet. I forgot all about it until oh, no. very recently. <gasps> so I'm going to try to remember to bring it next time. Yeah, yeah pl- please do. Bringing Zach's back. If you don't play him, I will. Which brings us to this upcoming Christmas. And I've got a good one. Just a couple months away. Whoo! <laughs> boys i have got a great one for this one okay we decided another new rule for this one special rule we are keeping the 50 dollars budget but the changed rule for this one is that any two monocolored legendary creatures can be treated as though they have partner so as long as a creature is only one color in all of its abilities and its color identity it can be treated as though it has partner. Now, we know, those of you in the audience who are saying that this is going to be insanely broken, insanely powerful, and yeah, that's exactly what we're hoping for. That's the point. Yeah. And that's also why there's a $50 yep, that budget. Is, that is exactly the point, and we are keeping the $50 budget. Plus, I think we said nobody could run, what's her name, the... Sakashima. Sakashima. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to run Sakashima. <laughs> Did we say either version right. of Sakashima? Neither version of Sakashima. <laughs> Neither version of Sakashima. You are not allowed to just straight up have a clone in the command zone. But guys, I'm totally, I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. My deck is already built and it's just waiting for a happy gift recipient. Mm-hmm. Mine's almost put together. I need to cut like 25 cards, but <laughs> <laughs> which is gonna take me months i have my commanders picked out and kind of like compiling stuff i'm probably gonna pull a lot from my currently owned collection right now but man i really want to reveal it but i guess we'll wait i know i want to reveal mine too so bad let's just do it here live on the podcast no 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 no. just for the viewers no maybe that'll be a follow-up pilot premiere spell table game maybe we'll do a gameplay video Okay. okay. Derek, any trash talk, any smack talk you want to do for this upcoming oh, Christmas man. deck? man. See, I, I want to say it's good, but it, I mean, I think it'll be good. I'm going for a really wacky idea, and I don't know if it's more whack or if it's actually going to be a cool idea. So I don't want to <laughs> get too excited yet. I just want to say, if you thought Arden and Rogak was fast... You have no idea. Oh my lord. Okay. <laughs> Both Randy's commanders are zero cost and one cost. Rograk and Rograk. So just on turn one, he's going to play both commanders. <laughs> no, Ragavan and, and Conda or something. Isn't Ragavan Yay. double our budget? Yes. <laughs> the one card. Oh, that's true. $50 budget. Good point, Randy. Yeah, Good point. I think he's like $90. I don't think so. Especially since yeah. we're giving it away. Mm-mm. For any Magic players out there, I so highly recommend 
the Secret Santa activity. Like we mentioned earlier, it has us examine the other player's play style and what we know they like and what we think they could improve on. And it has us thinking about what that person might like to see or how they could grow. Yeah. It also means that in the gameplay itself, you're often happy with anybody who wins. And we talked about this several episodes ago that it's really fun to just trade decks or to play decks that other people have built for a lot of reasons. You're going to get to see into the mind of your deck builder and think about how they build decks. And also, the thrill of winning is going to be more common because you could get the thrill of winning from winning, or you can obtain that thrill watching your deck win, mm -hmm. watching the deck that you built pop off even though someone else is piloting it. It is a huge confidence boost to see that whatever you built did something great. Yeah. Honestly, I like it more than, than winning. To get so excited, no one's ever seen it, I give it to someone else, and then they win with it, that's just, I like, ah. Oh. Just to see the look on their face at every new draw. You know, every time it's their draw step, it's, ooh, what card's it gonna be? Ooh, I'm so excited to see what this can do. Yeah. For the record, yeah. I, I like winning more. <laughs> Shocker. I had no idea. Stop the presses. <laughs> Any last comments about Secret Santa? Again, I, I just love it. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah. a great thing that we do. I like I like it too. Yeah. In addition to Secret Santa, we do occasionally do deck building challenges. Maybe we have read something on Reddit or we've seen a YouTube video or we just have an idea within our meta where we say, what if we did this? Usually we'll set a date two or three months in advance and we'll say, okay, everybody try to have your decks ready by this time. And then the next time we play, we'll debut those decks together. I think last year we did probably our most wild challenge so far, which was any two legends have partner. Yeah. <laughs> and it does not matter what their rarity is, how many colors they are. We just said any two legends have partner. Full on YOLO. That was an insane game. Mm -hmm. I want to go first about mine. I mentioned earlier that I had dismantled the Vega Elegith deck, and it's because Vega was one of my partners for this deck building challenge. I paired Vega with Prosper Tomebound. Mm -hmm. Vega allows you to draw a card whenever you play a card from exile. Prosper has an effect that says at the end of your turn, you put a card in exile, and then you can play it your next turn. And he also says that whenever you play any card from exile, you create a treasure token. So with those two cards, with those two commanders, anytime I played a card from exile, I would both draw a card and create a treasure token. Mm -hmm. The value was absolutely insane, and I pretty quickly became arch enemy for that Absolutely. game. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the sickest things I've ever seen. In like a disgust <laughs> way, not like an impressed way. <laughs> what? It was... I did put Jaleva in that deck. There were war crimes. So, <laughs> so that is my most evil deck, and it breaks all the rules, it does things that Derek hates, and it is just very, very powerful. So I don't think I've ever played that deck since, just because I know that the target will be on my back for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Prosper, you know, I, the, just a tiefling warlock and his little owl buddy. Yeah, I regret showing you what Vega could do. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Derek, tell us about yours. So I made Feather and Ivy 
Feather lets me cast instants and sorceries, or just instants? I don't remember. Maybe it's just instants. So she's red-white, and... Oh, it's instant or sorcery, yeah. Okay, yeah, instant sorcery. You cast it, and then she exiles it and puts it back in your hand at the end of the turn instead of it going to your graveyard. Ivy says whenever a spell targets something else, it also affects her. I think that's what it is, yeah. So the idea would be, like, I buff up Feather, and then Ivy gets the free boost for nothing. So the idea was adding green to Feather for, like, the pump spells that are real cheap, Green gets a plus three, plus three for whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. use blue for card draw and protection with counter spells. And it was pretty cool. I liked it a lot. I ended up taking it apart. So what actually, in reality, would happen is I'd get all the red-white cards at the very top and all the green-blue cards at the bottom, and I would never see them interact with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up taking feather and ivy part to build a deck i'll talk about later Ooh, okay randy tell us about yours i combined two of my favorite things which is etb effects enter the battlefield and tokens <laughs> so i did brago king eternal and Girid conclave exile so brago says when it deals damage you can bounce which is to basically remove the card from the game basically and then you bring it back in so it triggers ecb effects again uh and Girid says whenever he enters the battlefield create a 4-4 rhino with trample and then when he attacks populate and populate is basically create a token that's a copy of a creature that i control so it's just gonna be a bunch of tokens everything that enters is making tokens kind of gonna go crazy pretty quick yeah. yeah, that was another deck that had the instant army in a can problem. <laughs> yeah. Right, you call it a problem. It's a feature. <laughs> well, problem for us. Yeah. yeah. So pretty much everything, I think, if it doesn't enter and make a token, then it's a clone so that I can clone the ones that are good. But yeah, I remember looking at these two and just thinking like, man, if only Geared had blue or huh. vice versa, if only Brago had you know, red and green, just a match made in heaven. Yeah, that was kind of what this deck building challenge was all about. What if the the commander you wanted had access to more colors? Right, yeah. Yeah, Benjamin, tell us about yours. I'm still amazed at yours. It was it was wild. Yeah, and it's funny because compared to all of y'all's, I felt like it was really underpowered. It, it took a lot to get set up and then was easy to defend against, but mm-hmm. it was fun because it was a great callback so one of my earliest commander deck was a Rafik of the mini deck. Rafik says that if you attack with only one creature, it gets plus one, plus one, and double strike. And Ishin is a newer commander's that I partnered with Rafik here, and he says if attacking with a creature causes an ability to trigger, it triggers an additional time. So what I did is I basically put in every single effect that had Exalted, which is the whenever a creature attacks alone, it gets plus one, plus one, or any trigger from creatures attacking alone. So there were some creatures that say, hey, whenever you attack alone, it gets lifelink. Whenever you attack alone, deals the damage to something. And I kind of added all of these cards into one deck so that whenever you attack, probably with Rafik, that it's going to trigger 15 plus one plus one effects and get double strike and get trample and deal two damage to something and you know and all this stuff and so it's really fun it's certainly you get your stuff going you're like when i attack with this it's going to be huge and you don't have to worry about the problem that randy has which is i don't want to be open because you only had to attack with one creature and so that was nice you could leave everything on defense swing in with a giant monster and still have 
10 creatures held back to defend. It was fun. I certainly enjoyed it. I still have it. It ended up not being as strong as the other ones, so it's more of a just for fun, and because it's totally illegal because it's five colors, I don't get a chance to play it as often. I was amazed personally with that deck of all the things that weren't creatures that didn't have to attack that had attack triggers. Yeah. So you had a couple of curses in there. Like, I think it was Curse of Predation or something. Oh, yeah. It puts plus one, plus one counter. It puts a plus one, plus one counter on any creature that attacks that player. Yeah, yeah. So you could say, hey, Isheen is going to trigger when Derek attacks Travis. Right. That means that Derek, if you swing at Travis here, he'll get plus two, plus two. And I'll do it. <laughs> and, and he would do it. Absolutely. There were just a lot of cool cards in there that I did not think Isheen would go off with. That he did. And it was just really cool. Yep, Curse of Bounty does that. Curse of Curse of Greed, I think. Curse of Verbosity is the card draw one. Yep. Oh, Curse of Opulence is the one where you get a token. The gold token yep. one. And so, yeah, you're right. There's a bunch of curses that trigger on either a creature attacking or a player being attacked that you can you can redirect. Hey, if you just attack over there, you get a bunch of bonuses. And so do I. But we won't. We'll ignore that. And with Isheen, it's you get twice the bonuses. Right. Attack them, you'll get two cards, and I'll get two cards. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. That was one of our deck building challenges. Again, not related to Secret Santa, just like go off the rails how big how crazy can you do if there are no rules yeah <laughs> we did another one this year that we haven't yet had the battle for but all of the decks are made and we called it our three color challenge we kind of went around each one of us and gave that person a color identity what color do we think that person uses the most or what color do we think has that person's personality Derek was assigned green, Benjamin was assigned black, Randy was assigned white, and I was assigned red. And then the deck building challenge was that we each build the deck of the other player's colors. So we weren't allowed to use the one color that we were assigned. So Benjamin loves to include black in all of his decks, yep. and he was assigned black as his color. Well, for this deck, you're not allowed to use it. He had to use green, white, and red. And the same was true for everybody else. So that left Derek with white, black, red. That left Benjamin with white, red, green. That left Randy with red, black, green. And me with white, black, green. Those decks are made, but we haven't had our battle yet. And we plan to update you once that battle has happened, where we'll talk about each of those decks and, and how they performed. We are in the middle of one other challenge right now, and we got this idea from an episode of Shuffle Up and Play on Telerian Community College, where they did a secret commander, where basically you roll up to the game, you put your commander face down in the command zone, you don't reveal it until you play it, until you cast it in the game. We made some adjustments to this. It is a secret commander. We decided that all of them had to be five mana value, and that we would swap them for their first play. Mm -hmm. That means that we would trade with the other players for the first game. And because we all know that they cost five mana value, that they cost five mana, we're just going to house rule it so that once you have five mana, you can cast your secret commander without knowing who that commander is yet. There was no budget restriction for this. We plan on just doing the swap just for the game, but then each person 
keeps those decks. And my deck is uh, for this one is ready also, guys. Yeah, my deck's ready for this one, too. I thought I was going to have to completely redo it, but I actually I have a backup deck just waiting the whole time, and I've been wanting to make it, so this is its time <laughs> to shine. Nice. All right, perfect. Mine's built. Brady, you have this one ready? Yeah, mine's ready. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, is this going to work? I don't know. I'm a little unsure of this deck. Not fun to hear, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, this one was as long as it's five mana value, and it can be cast once you have five mana. But that was the only rule. I was going to ask, was there a stipulation that it can't be, like, Massacre Girl? No. Okay. I was I was just thinking, it'd be really messed up. You play five, <laughs> you have this whole board state, you play your five, and then it's like, no, I killed my board. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I did that. Would that be crazy. I thought that'd be Somebody. really funny. <laughs> Somebody's five CMC card is Child of Alara. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Maybe we should make a a, a a rule of like no no board wipe. No nope. <laughs> My five CMC card is Megita the Lion. Yeah, I was like, you can have a board wipe in the ninety nine. <laughs> But not for your commander. That's messed up. No, no. but that's that's pretty funny though. <laughs> Especially if, if if you mainly hurt yourself. Now that you've said it, surely you wouldn't do it, right? No, 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 no. I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. No, no, no. I wouldn't. That is funny, dude. It just popped in my head while we were talking, and I was like, man, that'd be messed up if you play it and then it somehow hurts you more. Right. You know, I, I was like, oh my god, what if someone <laughs> board wiped and they uh, and they hurt themselves? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, no, Masker Girl is not, and it has never been my idea for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, you're safe. Don't worry. Okay. So, listeners, that's what we do to keep magic fun. We play year-round magic, and usually we're buying new cards, we're buying the new commander decks as they come out. So there's plenty of things to keep our games interesting. But this is something that our meta does specifically that we really enjoy. If you want more information about how we do Secret Santa, or if you want to suggest other deck building challenges for us, we're always up for new building challenges and exploring this great game. And that brings us to our recurring segment, News, News from, from the Warfront. War 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 Beep, beep. All right, here we go. It's another mostly magic post, but it brings up a situation that I thought was just really odd. Uh, this is from REDH. He says, I'm new to magic as of last month. We have a one-month-old player here. I've really been enjoying doing research and watching YouTube videos and getting deeper understandings of gameplay strategies, card synergies, etc., I liked this post because just last week, you guys talked about how to get good, how to learn, how to really dive deep into a game. This person's one month into Magic, and they're doing all of those things. Research, YouTube videos, uh, exposing themselves to cards, new mechanics, uh, and they said, listen, I get that this game has a high learning curve, but I'm learning a lot really fast. And then he brings us into this weird situation that he has with his friend. He says, One of the people who brought me into Magic showed me Commander, and it is now my preferred way of playing. I like deck brewing, and most of what I've done has been deck upgrading. They bought the Flying Precon. This was a starter Commander deck. 
It uses thopters and a lot of flying creatures. He said, My problem is, the friend who introduced me to playing makes me not want to play. He says, I've added some cards. I've upgraded a deck. It performs well. I've won one game and lost the other. So, I guess maybe one of their first times they played twice. Next session... My friend brings a new deck, plays a combo that lets him win fairly early in the game. Now he's playing yet another new deck that churns out creature tokens faster and stronger than I can handle. They make a comment about always playing Mimic Vat. I thought that was funny because when I was a new player, I thought this card was cheap and super powerful also, but now doesn't really worry me a lot. So this player thinks Mimic Vat is really powerful. But the other thing that they mentioned about this other player, their friend who got them into gaming, specifically made all of his removal things to wipe out flying, mm. knowing that he has a deck full of thopters and bird flying tokens. Mm -hmm. I've played this deck several times. He always wins the same way. Even if I look through the battle and look through all my cards and things like that, there's no way for me to do anything. He says he combos turn three or four, and uh, he doesn't know why he's here. There's not much left in the post. He says, I've expressed that it's not fun playing against a deck that I can't win. And the friend comes back by saying, hey, it's not fully optimized. My deck has weaknesses. But this new player says, listen, maybe they do, but it seems fortified specifically against my deck. Even though the friend insists that it's not. I don't know what to do. I don't know if it's me not being good enough at the game or if I'm being a bad sport about losing or what. I don't feel like playing when I know he's going to do the same thing he always does and I always lose. What's the point? He says, I also want to build a deck that's quote-unquote against his and maybe prove myself. Tell me if I'm being unfun and need to learn more or what else I should do. I do think that... Learning more is always a good solution. Yeah. But at this point, of course, we always suggest that you discuss things first, use the I statements and the or I messages and, and compliment sandwiches and all of that. But it sounds like this person has already talked to their friend and their friend just says, yeah, it sounds like they tried. Mm -hmm. Friend just says, get good. So first thing I would suggest is go listen to our last episode about how to get good. <laughs> and one of the things this person has already suggested, which is, hey, what if they make a deck that's against their deck? Like, this is part of the early meta gaming mm -hmm. where people start, hey, I recognize that this is a common strategy, so I need to start doing things that are going to counter what my friend is doing. And one thing that I would recommend specifically is play counter spells. Mm -hmm. If your friend is going all in on a combo deck that's going too fast, then you're playing a blue deck, right? The, your, the blue-white flyer deck has room for counter spells where you can get a couple and then when he goes to play his combo he's not ready for it because you know he thinks you're a new player yeah he thinks you're a precious baby knock yeah. him out and just wait for him to play his combo piece you say ah, uh counter spell and then even if it's just cancel wouldn't that be yeah. so funny mm -hmm. to knock him out with a cancel just to Kimbe Matumbo. No, no, no. Right? And then... Not in my and then house. Just, Yo. just enjoy the look on his face when you're sitting there watching him because you just canceled his big play and then continue to swing in with your flyers. So <laughs> I think I think that's something I would do if I were you is, yeah, hey, if you want to prove yourself, that's a, an easy way to get good is to start metagaming. 
you know the decks he plays. So start making your decks to counter what he plays. That's a normal part of metagame development. We've talked about it many times on this show, and I do think that's a great way for this person to respond here. I have a problem. Maybe you guys can help me. I've recently got into boxing for about a month, and I've been playing against this guy named Mike Tyson. <laughs> Every time, he just he beats the life out of me, and he says he has plenty of weaknesses, but... <laughs> but He'll he'll throw a hit so hard that I actually shit my pants, and I'm not really sure what to do anymore. Get good, episode eleven. I don't know how to get good. Maybe he could just punch. Yeah, work out slower, buddy. or I don't know. Spend more money. I'm, I'm agreeing with what Derek's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. When I was reading this, it made me think that okay, this guy, the the poster is playing a precon with maybe a handful of upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a power level five, I think is safe to say. You know, yeah, it's pr- it's pretty mid, and I mean, even going up against what could be like a seven is a big you know step. But doing twenty mana turn three, this dude sounds like he buffed out a CEDH deck against a precon, and to me, the friend sounds pretty immature. I want to interrupt. I would take this person's assessment of his friend's deck with a grain of salt. True, true. Okay. Because he's new. Maybe not 20, but, I mean, even half that 10 mana on turn 3 or 4 is a pretty strong ramp package he's got going on. Yeah. And I do agree with you. I think I kind of interrupted, but you had mentioned that this friend is clearly overpowered to to deal with a a one-month-long player. Yeah, it's like... If I took one of my current decks and, you know, time traveled back and fought myself when I just bought the Commander Legends... Commander uh, Anthology, too. What was it? Anthology, yeah. And it's like, oh, I I got this $50 Commander deck. And I'm like, okay, let's see how it goes up against my $800... I'm about to ruin this kid's whole day. Darien deck, you know? (laughs) I'm about to make this kid never want to play again, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's immature on it seems pathetic. that friend's part. Yeah, like you're getting salty over losing to a fifty dollar deck. Like it's a game. He def- like he mentions that this friend has removal that targets that specifically targets specifically, flying creatures. Yeah, I do think that's messed up. Yeah, like yeah. I'm sorry if your friend has been playing for a long time, he really shouldn't have plummet in his deck. Yeah. Now, I will say this. If, if he's got, like, <laughs> right. Silk Last Spider... He should know if better. If he's got Silk Last Spider or, or things like that, Hurricane... Whip Tongue Hydra. Yeah, like, I play those in decks sometimes if they fit the theme or I'm looking for one more thing and they, and they just happen to be kind of on curve or, or what I'm doing. So I'm not going to say that no specifically targeted flying would is okay. But, like, you're right. If it's a plummet or a, what's the one that's, like, creature with flying or an enchantment or artifact? There's, like, four different versions yeah. of it. Like if yeah. it crushing plummet, Vines? Bring, bring Down. Crushing, crushing vines, vines is the one I'm that's thinking of. Yeah. Like, if, if he's playing yeah, cards like vines. that and he's clearly an experienced player that should know that those cards just generally don't see play, yes, he's metagaming against your precon, and that I agree. That's pretty messed up. Two other things I wanted to suggest. One, you know, I, I get that you're new and you want to keep playing that deck and get good, but maybe ask to borrow one of his his more powerful decks. Yeah. Yeah. And that way you're on an even footing. His eight versus another one of his eights. 
Yeah, that's a great idea. And that might be a good thing. Or listen to our podcast and learn how to play with strangers. Find it new people. It came up in the comments a lot for this post that if you can play four player games. Yes. Playing 1v1 commander, like it's not awful, but there really is an entire dimension of this game that I think is fixed with multiple players. That's yeah. Even decks that do have disparate power level, that can be policed with multiple players. Mhm. I mean, yeah, we just talked about the the Rogak and Arden. 1v1, yeah. that deck's going to wreck, you know, a little bit slower control deck. I feel like a lot of time because it's just so much faster. Right. So, you know, but having four people, having some other people that may have more powerful decks that can match his, you know, he's going to have to reassess the threat at the board. Right. Or at the table. Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of decks like that where like Ragavan, for example, 1v1, that's going to feel pretty awful. You play your turn one tap land. I play my commander. You play your turn two ramp piece. I hit you for two and steal a card. And it's like... You know, it's <laughs> yeah. snowball out of control there. And so, yeah, Rogue Rack Arden, there's, there's lots of the decks like that. I think you're you're right on point there with this. If you had a few friends with a Doomblade and a Counterspell and, and some pressure, then this person can't just freely set up and go off against your flying deck. Yeah. Derek, anything you want to add here? No, I, I, I just feel like this guy sounds like kind of a jerk. I mean, I, I would definitely realize in a game, oh, this is a pre-con because this costs six mana for garbage like <laughs> and to it's like huh his deck has a sarah angel in it yeah right yeah what what, what i better crushing vines yeah, what, what are, <laughs> i better crushing vines is sarah angel. it's just it's pathetic man like i don't know i i don't feel good about myself beating down someone who's in a much worse place than me it just seems gross i think the person needs to also go listen to some of our earlier stuff about you know how to be a good friend how to touch grass yeah how to be a good friend at the table (laughs) you know how to how to invite a new player in yes how to teach your game you don't teach it yeah by bashing them over the head yep unless you're benjamin benjamin likes being the underdog you want oh absolutely yes if you want me to get hooked on a game sell me on the game show me that it's fun and then beat me because then i'm like oh i gotta get better i gotta and then i'll i'll throw myself into it so yeah that's that's good call benjamin i feel like i can make a game myself like i could design the game and you would still beat me (laughs) (laughs) there was something that mentioned before and i do want to reiterate it play some of this guy's own decks against him that is gonna Obviously going to even your power level because you're going to be playing with his level of deck building instead of your Mm -hmm. own. And at this point in your career versus his career, he probably is the better deck builder. So play his decks and learn from what he's created. Challenge him to, like, he plays your deck, you play his deck and see how it feels. (laughs) I like that idea. Yep. And you can also, as you're playing his decks, you'll start to see, like, oh... Here are some weaknesses. I, I I didn't realize that it actually takes this careful setup to reach this board state. Now I see that it, it actually is easy to disrupt. Like, if he's telling you his deck has weaknesses but doesn't tell you what the weaknesses are, well, that kind of sucks, right? But by playing it, you might see those weaknesses where you didn't see them before. And you can also learn strategies and stuff that can help you with your own decks. So, yeah, I good job, Derek, on, on recommending that. I think that's a great idea. All right. Any last comments for another great episode? 
before Benjamin's words of wisdom. Go for it. Take it away. Okay, so we've talked about making game nights interesting with the meta that you have and developing new and fun ideas to keep things interesting. But you know what? This works even better in your interpersonal relationships, especially with that significant other. It can be really fun and exciting in the early days of a relationship to just explore the game pieces you have. But over time, as you develop that deeper relationship and you talk and you get comfortable, sometimes the excitement wears off. You know, you get into a rut and it can be tempting to want to move on or take what you have for granted. And that's a great time. Instead of letting that relationship fall apart, try something new. Challenge each other. Find a a new twist on an old favorite, right? Trying that new restaurant down the street. Trying a new game, right? There's there's Try out role-playing. Yes. Adding toys. <laughs> Don't step out. Step up. Adding toys. <laughs> so yeah. when, when you have something that's grown stale in your life or a chance to grow deeper. Deeper. Yes. Go deeper. We decided to go deeper with each other, with our with our meta. And of course, we're, we, we've told you all sorts of ways to do that, right? Gifts and activities and teaching each other and all these things. Solo play, team but play. But you can do that in so many areas of your life. Adding friends. <laughs> yep. I, I've heard an interesting uh, quote recently that I think applies here, and that is, only boring people get bored. Hey, that's good. So take that with you to your next thing and and have a fun have a fun life. Benjamin, you tried to steal back the words of wisdom, and it ended up back. Yeah, it, <laughs> two weeks was too long to let it go. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Whenever Derek says toys, you got to put a little T-Rex toy in there. (laughs) (laughs) Those were great words of wisdom. Very applicable. Just go back and re-listen to it and ignore me and Derek snickering in the background. Don't ignore us. Give us our (laughs) dude. There do nothing. Remember always that you can contact us directly by leaving comments either on YouTube, Spotify, or any of the audio mediums that you enjoy this podcast with. You can also contact us through email at mymythicalmeta at eldoradogaming.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you can have many years of enjoyment with your friends and with your game. Good night. 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 Later. This episode was sponsored by Eldorado Gaming. Use the promo code META for 10% off your order. Please like, comment, subscribe, and share. This episode was edited by me, Travis Konashek, and our intro and outro music is by Tyler Heath of the Oh Hellos.